bit of a blur, and but it made me made me look. It was just enough of a uh, of a, a notice that I that I turned my head, and and what I saw was a color. So I really wasn't sure what it was, but I I saw the color purple. It was just in the corner of my eye, so I turned and looked, and sure enough, it was what I feared that it was. Uh, it's what I no, I mean, it's what I thought it was. It was a guy with a K State sweatshirt on. Uh, yeah, congratulations, guys. I don't know if only beating K State by a couple points is anything to be congratulated for, but uh, you know, you guys, you, you you won anyway. But but I saw this guy in the K State sweatshirt just as he walked out of the grocery store. Now you may you may not find that at all odd or anything different about that, except where I was. I was I was in uh, the S Mart in Anapra, which is a part of Juarez, Mexico. Uh, was was their last march with a group of college kids, and I happened to glance over and saw this guy walk out with a K State sweatshirt, and I I thought to myself, I, I knew I, I I've got to do this, so I ran out of the store out uh, out through the doors as he walked across the parking lot, and I yelled at him, "Hey, amigo!" and uh, only thing I knew how to, to really say to him, hey, amigo, and he stopped and realized, hey, what's this guy want? And I ran up to him, and, and I said, te gusta su camisa. Now, actually, I was lying when I said that. Does anyone know what I just said? I like your shirt. Yeah, I didn't know how to say sweatshirts. I had to say shirt. Uh, and I was lying because I didn't really like his shirt. But I didn't know how to say, wow, K-State shirt in Mexico? I, I wear KU myself, but I have some K-State. I didn't know how to say that, so I just had to say, I like your shirt. And and his response was what I was expecting it to be. Uh, I ended up asking, "Hey, can I can I take a photo?" And I took a picture of him, and I think I sent that picture, uh, yeah, to to Kelsey or or someone. So uh, just to say, "Hey, there's strange people everywhere." Um, and uh, no, I said, "There's walking." But but when when I said that, that I like your shirt, his response was what I thought. He did this. Now I do that all the time when someone says, "Hey, I like your shirt." And I, I have no idea what I have on. I always have to look to see what I have on. But he looked down on it, and, and I could tell by his puzzled look, it was almost like, well, why? See, see, I knew that the, the, the K-State sweatshirt he had on was not because he was a K-State fan. When I said, hey, hey, I like your shirt, he didn't say, go Wildcats or go K-State. or Don't you guys make some kind of little cat paw thing? Do you, what? Yeah, oh, Okay, wildcat, is that what that is? Okay, he, he didn't do that, you know. Uh, that's kind of a gang sign, too, so, I, you know, I'm glad he didn't. But he, uh, he, he just kind of looked puzzled at me. So, so I, re- I knew the story. I knew that some KU fan had received that sweatshirt as a, prank, uh, a, a practical joke at Christmas time. Yeah, yep, and, uh, and had donated it to Goodwill, and somehow it ended up from Goodwill uh, in, in, and found its way to Mexico, and this guy picked it up at his church for free. But, but the truth is, the truth is, had I seen this guy walking out of John's Market and walked up to him, I, I probably wouldn't have. But had I had I seen him and walked up to him and said, "Hey, I like your shirt," the, the response would have probably been different. The guy would have, if he's like me, he would have looked down. Oh yeah, I've got my K State on. He would have said, "Go Wildcats, go K State," and he might have said, "Are you a K K State fan?" Because the truth is, and and it's represented here today. A couple of you have your your K State shirts on. A lot of you are wearing your purple. Very proud today, and and there might I don't 
is anyone got a chief shirt on? I don't, I didn't see a chief shirt, but sometimes we might wear a chief shirt or we might wear a Troy Trojan shirt or, or maybe there's some other college that you're, or, or professional team that you're a fan on. But the truth is, a lot of times with what we wear, it, we can identify what someone's identity is. You can, you can get an idea of their identity by what they're wearing. Uh, whether it's a, a, a shirt from an athletic team or, or maybe even cowboy boots or fancy clothes or maybe they've got a pair of pliers stuck to their belt. You, you can see by what they have on that it identifies who they are. Uh, and you catch that uh, as you watch. The truth is, as we look at people, we begin to get a sense of who they are and what their identity is. In chapter 2 of Philippians, as we're moving on, in the text, in chapter, in verses uh, 12 through 18, Paul has already asked that question. We looked at that for, a, uh, for three weeks. Paul has already asked that question, who's number one? And, and, and that was answered uh, resoundingly that number one is other people. Uh, and, and then that, the text told us in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 5, that Jesus is the prime example of living for other people. And, and he gave us that identity and showed us what, what we're to do. But he goes on here in chapter 2 in verses 12 through 18, and, and it's almost as if he's wanting us to embrace that, to embrace, to grasp what our identity is. So if you have your Bibles, look with me in Philippians chapter 2. We'll start with verse 12 going through the end of that section, verse 18, and look for three things about our identity that Paul talks about. Look at verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, presence but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or, or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. As you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul points out three things. Here's the first one, uh, that our identity is defined. Verse 12, verse 12 says, therefore, my dear friends, now whenever in Scripture, truth is, I guess in any literature, whenever you see the word therefore, it's always pointing you backwards. It's always, it's always saying, hey, what I'm going to say next is tied directly to what I just said. What, what I'm going to talk about now, you find its root in what I already said. So, so Paul actually has defined our identity, has defined our identity in the verses previous to this. And he's just going to kind of add to it a little bit more. We get a little bit insight into our identity from this this section. And, and we're, remember what we talked about was the most important verse in the whole book, verse 5, which says your attitude should be the same as that as Christ Jesus. So Paul is basically saying here that our identity is Christ. Now, now he could have, when he said therefore, he could have been looking back to chapter 2, 1 to 4, which talked about our motivation for being a, a Christ follower. He could have could have pointed back to chapter 1, verse 21, where he said, for me to live as Christ and die as gain. He could have been pointing back to chapter 1, verse 5, 
where he says, because of your partnership in the gospel, because we're together in the gospel. But I, but I think he's pointing back to two five or uh, two chapter two verse five, where he says we are to be like Jesus. That is our identity. Our identity is defined by Christ. In the 2016 Summer Olympics, which were held in Rio de Janeiro, I. I remember watching an interview with a couple Olympians. Their names were Steele Johnson and David Bodea. Steele Johnson and David Bodea. They had won a silver medal, a medal in an event that I did not even know existed. They won a silver medal in synchronized diving. Have you ever seen synchronized diving? I didn't even know that exist, existed until I saw their interview, and then I went back and watched some of it. And it's exactly what you think it is. Two guys get on two different diving boards, or in this case, it was a tower. I don't, I'm not sure how tall. And they dive together, and they're graded on how well they dive, but how well they are synchronized in their diving. And, and so during this interview, they were talking to him and said, hey, as the competition went, got, went on and, and you were up there towards the top and you got ready to go for that last dive, you, you guys seemed so calm. You seemed so, so, so confident. Where did you find your confidence? Still Johnson, who spoke for both of them, responded this way. He says, the fact is going into that last event, we knew that our identity was rooted in Christ. I wasn't expecting that. He said, we knew our identity was rooted in Christ. And, and so ma- no matter what the result of the competition was, everything was going to be okay. See, our identity, our identity is, is, is Christ. So, so Paul points out a couple things. Let me just look at two things here that we need to talk about when it comes to our identity. First of all, he says, uh, in, in the second part of verse 16, he sa- or verse 12, he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Some people misunderstand this verse. Uh, in, in fact, it, it feeds our insecurity and our struggle that we have with this. So, so I understand why we, we misunderstand this. But some people think that what Paul is saying here is that I must be doing something. I must be working on being saved. So when he says, continue to to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Some people interpret that to mean, well, I guess I have to work at it. So, so, so I have to do something to earn it. Uh, they, they might think, well, I must go to church. Well, well, that's, that's good. Or I must pray. Well, you know, that's good. I, I must give. Well, hey, I'm glad you do. I must be holy. Well, of course we're called to that, but, but it's not saying that I have to do those things to earn my salvation. Wilbur Fields in his commentary says this, verse 12 does not suggest that by work we earn our salvation, but that our salvation must be followed by steadfast work to the end. While our salvation is not gained by works of righteousness, we must be zealous to do good works and be careful to maintain them to the end. See, God doesn't look at us God doesn't look at us and say, wow, that, that guy's holy. God doesn't look at us and say, man, that guy's got it together. God doesn't look at us and say, man, that lady has, boy, she is righteous. God, for instance, God doesn't look at uh, Jason Wettstein and say, man, Jason is good. That Jason, he is a model of what I want a believer to be. He, he doesn't look at Jason and say, man, he's at church every Sunday. He is most every Sunday, unless a fishing tournament comes along. But, you know, we'll, we'll forgive that. 
Still haven't been invited to fish fry. I guess you didn't catch enough fish. But, you know, that he, he doesn't look at Jason and say, wow, he's in Sunday school every Sunday. He doesn't look at, did you bring your Bible today, Jason? Oh. Because what I was going to say, he looks at Jason and says he brought his Bible. But um, <laughs> you have it on your phone. Just hold your phone up. and Most people believe that you have it there. See, he doesn't look at Jason and say, man, that is a, that is a great guy. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give him salvation. I'm going to give him salvation because he's so good. The, the, the truth is we have salvation because of Jesus. Our identity is not tied to us doing enough good stuff, holy stuff, or churchy stuff. Our identity instead is tied to Jesus. Our identity is tied to Jesus and what he did for us. So, so when he talks about working out our, our salvation, then what, what's he talking about? Since our identity is found in Jesus, then what, what that working out your salvation, what that working on your salvation, what, what he's really talking about there is we should be doing that. We should be working in our salvation our salvation should affect us and move us and what should come naturally from us being saved is that we are working for the one who died for us let me let me illustrate it this way uh, i think it was last weekend reed and i went to sam's club and uh, the same thing happens every time we walk into sam's you walk in that main aisle and then we, we almost always turn right because just about every time we go to Sam's, we have to get dog food. So, so we're always turning right to get dog food or something down that way. But, but almost as if there's a magnet, my wife is drawn to the clothes section at Sam's Club. Anyone else do that? She, cause you never know there. You, you, you never know because sometimes they'll have stuff for like three bucks. She's bought stuff for our grandkids like for two dollars and she's bought nice stuff for really, really cheap. And so she, now I have to be honest as well. I'm kind of drawn there too, because because that's where I dress myself as well as Sam's Club. So because you can buy stuff cheap. So 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 we were in the clothes section a, uh, last weekend, I believe it was, and and I went over to look at some dress pants to see if they had another color because I'd bought one pair and I decided to buy another pair. So I'm looking at that. They didn't have my size. So I, I walk over and Rita's standing at the jeans in Sam at the men's jeans in Sam's Club, and and as I walk up, she picks up a pair. And, and uh, I pick up a pair and look at the size. If it's the right size, I buy it. I, but she picked it up. Ladies, don't you do this. She picked it up, folded it out, kind of held it up and looked at it like it's blue. It's the right size. It would work, you know. But uh, she held it up. And as I walked, she looked at me. And I said something before she could even respond. I said, I don't need any more blue jeans. I've got enough. Now, the truth is, guys, don't we, we wear our blue jeans till. We wear a hole in the knees or the, 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 the legs or somewhere in the backside. I mean, that's what I do with my jeans. Once I get a hole, I get a new pair. So, so I said, Rita, I don't need any jeans. Let me point something out. She didn't pick that pair of jeans up and thought, oh, man, Tim would, Tim would like these. Actually, she's thinking, well, he'd look better in these than the ones he's got on. But, uh, but she didn't pick that up and think, you know what? If I buy these jeans for him, these are nice. If I buy these jeans for him, I bet he'll love me. If I buy these jeans for him, man, he's going he's gonna to have more affection for me. That's not why she, why she did That's not why she picked him up at all. You know why she picked him up? 
She picked him up because she loves me. And, and quite honestly, that's one of her love languages, giving. That was her mother's love language, and she has it as well. She likes to give gifts, and her, her thought was, man, I love him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, or maybe I'm embarrassed by him, I don't know, and, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy this for him because I care about him. Notice the subtle difference. We don't do good things. We don't work on salvation so that God will love us because he already does. He, he proved that to us by sending his son to the cross. Nothing we can do would be good enough to earn his favor. Nothing we could do would be great enough that God would say, "Woo, I'm going to give them. It's not that way at all. God loved us. He sent his son to die for us, even though we're messed up. But, but we're to do good stuff because we love him. He's already demonstrated his love for us, so we are to demonstrate it back to him. So, so our, our identity is, is, is tied to what, what he's done for us. And, and our identity then also is, is tied to God working in us. Look at the, the second, uh, or look at verse 13 where it says this, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. God works in us to do his works of salvation. God wants to be in us. Can I ask a simple question here this morning? Can I just ask this one simple question, but, but maybe it's a tough question. What defines you as a believer? What are you wearing today that shows your faith? Now, now if you have a K-State shirt on, it proves you are a K-State fan. If you've got a Chiefs shirt on, then I'm a Chiefs fan. If you've got if you're uh, if you got a shirt on that's got stains on it, it's because you're a mother and your kids have slobbered on you. But what do you have on today in your faith? What are you wearing in your walk that defines you as a Christ follower? What what are you showing in your character and your passion, in your caring, in your compassion that 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 is showing Jesus? If you can't answer that question, well, well first of all, don't despair because Paul's talking in these verses. He's He's reminded us in these verses that we need to continue to work on this stuff. See, the truth is our, our, our salvation or with our salvation, because we're saved, guys, we need to work at being like Christ. I'll never forget this moment. Uh, my oldest son, Brian, was a sixth grader. So, so my next son, Joel, was in fifth grade. And, and with put together a fifth and sixth grade basketball tournament. Uh, myself and, and Travis Didimore, who was the, the high school basketball coach at DeKalb at the time, now the superintendent of the, the district. And, and we put on this fifth and sixth grade tournament. We just, the year before, got our kids involved in a league, and they were starting to play basketball before they got to junior high. And, and so we'd thrown this tournament, and we'd divided up all the fifth and sixth graders into three teams and, and had kind of a round-robin tournament. Uh, and, and I coached a team, and Travis had got two of his friends to coach teams, and we'd come down to the last game, and the team that I was coaching, I got lucky because I had my son and one other really good player, and we, we won easily, but... But after that last game, Travis and I were talking off to the side, and we, th- that's when we saw it. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. We saw this mother come across the gym, and, and you could tell by the look on her face. Uh, Derek's been there before. You probably have watched when people have had across the field to, to talk to Derek. Teachers, you've been there when someone stormed into your classroom to talk to you. And uh, maybe in other situations, you've been there. And she come 
come across, and you, you could just see the steam coming out of her ear, and she walked up to Travis and I and, and, and put a finger in our face and said, I want to know why my son didn't get a play more. Now, luckily for me, he wasn't on my team, so it wasn't my, you know, I, it's not like I hadn't played him, but, but, but I want to know why my son hadn't played. We tried to come up with an She wanted to run over and, and confront the coach, and Travis like, no, no, hey, these are guys just volunteering, helping out. I, you know, we're, you're not going to attack them. You can yell at us, and but, but when she walked away, Travis and I kind of waited till she was out of earshot, made sure she wasn't looking, and we kind of, this is bad, I'm sorry. <laughs> but we looked at each other and said, the reason he didn't play is he's terrible. You're not supposed to say, you're not supposed to do that. He went on my team, so I could, I could do that. The truth is, this guy was, he was bad. He couldn't dribble, he couldn't shoot, he couldn't pass. He, he was skinny and gangly, and, and, he, and we kind of talk like, man, Sooner or later, she's going to have to just accept that he's never going to be a basketball player. This guy is not a player. Fast forward about four years. This kid, his name was Chris. This kid, Chris, as a junior, was starting on the varsity basketball team. The next year as a senior, he was the best player on the team. The next year after he graduated, he went on and, and for just a year played some small college basketball. Well, what happened? How did this kid that we predicted would never be worth anything playing basketball, how did he suddenly become a ball player? Is because he worked on his game. The truth was this kid went home. I, I don't know what snapped him. Maybe, maybe he was embarrassed that he began to play, and he went home, and every day after school he dribbled a basketball. Every day he shot baskets. Every time he could get friends to, to join him at his house, they would play pickup games, and this kid worked and worked and worked till he became a basketball player. Maybe that's what Paul is, is kind of talking to us about here just a little bit, that we need to, to work on our salvation. We need to work to be like Jesus. We need to work to, to have our identity defined in him. Let's, uh, let's go quick. I'm going too long here. Our, our identity then is debated. If you have your Bibles, flip with me over there to the next verse in verse 14. He says there, do everything without complaining or arguing. Do everything without complaining or or arguing. Jesus, Jesus in his gospels talked about unity. Uh, in chapter two, verse two, he said that we need to be like-minded. Almost every New Testament book at one place or another will say something about unity, about getting along and being together. So, so oftentimes our identity is debated and, and we can see this application is that we debate with each other. That, that he's telling us that our, our identity is debated and we debate that with one another. Nothing makes us look less like Jesus than when in the church we argue and, and we fuss and we complain with one another. Nothing makes us look less like Jesus. Uh, a couple weeks ago now, I was down in, uh, flew to El Paso, went across into Juarez to take pictures for our, our Operation Anapra, which we'll have those pictures uh, uh, up next week so you can adopt kids for this Christmas, but but Wednesday morning of that week, I got up and and I took a walk uh, around the the neighborhood that my to- hotel was in. Now now Rita and she's not here today, so don't tell her I, I did this. Uh, Rita had told me, hey, don't don't go for a walk because she knew I'd done that before. And the motel it was Quality Inn. Quality Inns, if if you ever stay at motels, Quality Inns used to be Comfort Inns, and when they lose their comfort, they become Quality, which really is a misnomer because because they really don't have much quality. And that's the case with this motel. It's cheap. 
And it's not in the best part of town. But I got up Wednesday morning, even though my wife had told me not to go walking, I got up and I, I, I walked, I don't know, a mile and a half, two miles and with this big section. And I was coming back to the hotel. And I don't know, about a block and a half away, I saw this guy, or I noticed him for the first time. And and, and I, I made a, a, a rash judgment. I thought for, immediately after seeing I thought, this guy's, a, this guy's homeless. There were a couple telltale signs. He had a long, scraggly beard. Even from a distance, I could see that. It looked like his clothes were kind of threadbare and a little bit dirty. Truth is, once I got closer to him, I could smell that, that maybe he had been living on the streets as well. But I, but I saw him from a distance, and when he got about, I don't know, two-thirds of a block away, I could see that he was talking. Now, my first thought was, well, maybe he's talking on a cell phone. He's got Bluetooth. But, you know, usually homeless people don't have cell phones and Bluetooth, so, so I figured that, no, he's not doing that. He's talking to himself. And the closer I got, I could see that he was even more and more animated. And every once in a while, he would stop, and, and just his arms would flow about, and you could tell that he was angry. And So as we got closer, I'm thinking, man, if this guy does something to me, Rita's really going to be mad because I wasn't supposed to take a walk. Uh, so I got on my side of the sidewalk, and I let him pass on his side. But as we did, I realized that this guy was arguing with himself. Now, the good thing, he was winning the argument. The bad thing is was, he was losing the argument at the same, same time. But he was, he was in an animated argument with himself. And, and, and as I walked past, I thought, man, how foolish to argue with yourself. But church, church, how foolish. How foolish of us if we argue with ourselves. If Jesus prays that we will be one, if we're called in the New Testament to be one, to be t- together in all things, how, how foolish if we complain and argue with ourselves. And, and yet we see far too many churches struggle because their greater passion and their, their energy is used wanting to be right, wanting to be controlling, wanting to have it their way, wanting to hold on to power instead of looking out for number one who is other people in our lives. Why would we allow ourselves to be distracted and put passion and energy into living not like Jesus? And, and yet far too often as believers, we will stake our flag on a hill and we'll be willing to die on that hill to, to cause harm to many other people on that hill. And it's simply a hill of opinion or personal preference. And, and it doesn't amount to anything. And, and so maybe that's why Paul says here, do everything without complaining or arguing. Church, let's, let's be self-aware that whatever happens, whatever happens, we don't become that. Now, now it's my understanding, you, you guys have lived through this. There's been times that's, that's attacked this church. Let me let you in on a secret. Every church has gone through it before. But let's be self-aware that if we ever find ourselves complaining and arguing and, and being bitter with ourselves, that someone, I'm, I'm empowering some of you to stand up and say, who's number one? Let's remember who's number one. Let's remember who we're to model ourselves after. Let's remember that at all times. So, so, so maybe Paul here is saying that that that, uh, that our identity is uh, our identity is debated, and the debate is with ourselves. But, but let me point something out. That's probably not what he's talking about here. 
when he says do everything without complaining or arguing, we can make that application, but, but what he really is debating there is, is that we're arguing with God. A better way to translate, translate those words is, would actually be questioning and doubting. So, so do everything without questioning or doubting. Uh, in, in the context of Philippians chapter two, uh, Paul had, had just talked about a new identity for these people. Uh, before they became believers, if you had asked them who was number one, they would have said Rome because their identity was founded in their, their citizenship. Uh, and they would have said, well, well, number one is Rome. And if they didn't say that, they would have said, well, number one, that's me. Because that was the highest honor in that day that was yourself. You, you looked at, uh, looked for yourself and no one else. And, and so when Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing, without questioning or doubting, maybe what he's talking about here is obviously the, the debate that they would have going on in their minds is, Man, you, you have flipped everything upside down. I'm supposed to count others better than myself. I'm supposed to make someone else better than me. That doesn't sound right. But Paul says, don't argue. Don't question that. Don't debate that. Instead, do what God has called us to do. See, our choice is that we have to debate. We have to debate with God. Am I going to listen to what you said? Am I going to put my eyes on you? My, my dad had a friend. Uh, his name was Hoot. His real name was Harold, but everyone knew him as Hoot Owens. I don't have any idea how he got his nickname. But, but Hoot worked with my dad at the railroad. And just like my dad, he also farmed two or 300 acres on the side. So, so in the evenings when he got home from, from his job at the railroad, he would uh, he would, uh, would, would try to get out in the fields, particularly in the spring and fall, and get things done. And one year, it was a particularly wet year, and it was one of those years where it seemed like it rained every weekend. So, so where guys that were full-time farmers could get stuff done Monday through Friday, uh, guys like my dad and like who re- re- required the weekends to get stuff done. But it seemed like every Friday night, it would start raining. And, and it was one of those years that it got later and later and later, and he didn't have his beans planted yet. So who did something that he didn't normally do? In fact, he had never done before. He decided to plant beans at night one time. So it was a, a Thursday or Friday night, and, and, and the, the, the ground was prepared. He got the, the, the tractor ready, the, the planter ready, had everything filled up, and he pulled into a field. Well, where he pulled into the field was kind of right in the middle of the field. And he decided, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna start off going down the middle of the field and will work my way to either side and, and, but, but it, it hit him all of a sudden. Well, how am I, how am I going to keep my row straight? How am I, cause it was a dark night. It was a, a cloudless night, but no moon and he couldn't really see the other end of the field. And, and he's, he's sitting there on his tractor trying to decide, what am I going to do when he noticed a particularly bright star in the distance? And he thought, that's it. I'll just aim at that star and I'll stay straight. When I get to the other end, once I've set one row, then I'm no problem staying straight after that. So, so he took off down the field with his eyes on that star. And his concentration was continually on that star, just making sure he didn't run into the fence at the end of the field. And, and my dad related the story that Hoot related to him the next day at work. He said he was about two-thirds of the way down the field when he ran into the fence that ran along the side of the field. See, that star wasn't a star. It was an airplane. And it had been moving the whole time. And he put his eyes on the wrong thing. Boy, we... We can choose our identity and say, you know, I'm going to follow that, and I'm going to seek that, and, and, and that's going to be what, I, what I'm after. 
and 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 really we debate ourselves. We we debate God. God, do you really expect me to do this? Do you really want me to do that? When He's asked us to simply put our eyes on Him, and and finally, just as we finish up here, our identity is described. If you have your Bibles, look at verse sixteen. It it's kind of a just a small little phrase, but it really is packed with some meaning. Verse sixteen says this. As you hold out the word of life. And then he goes on to say how proud he would be, Paul does, that, that, that he knows as they hold out their faith that, it's, that, that he didn't labor in vain and uh, didn't run or labor for nothing. And, but he says there, as you hold out the word of life. It, it has the idea, the Greek word has, has this idea. It's, it's actually an idea or a thought. It would have been used in uh, in a home to to show uh, uh, to show some uh, some hospitality for for instance they, w- the way they would have used it if they had uh, had 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 a guest come to their home uh, and as soon as they entered they ho- their home and they welcomed them they would have offered them a glass of wine and so it has that idea of holding out a glass of wine to someone so so it's not like unlike what we would do in our house if a visitor comes over to visit now I don't expect you to take this one because I've drank out of it but but someone walks in and you hand them you, you say Bobby would you like a, gla- a bottle of water I wouldn't drink it but uh, you know but it's it's we hold out we we offer something to someone we offer them so Paul says our identity should be shown as, as our life offers Christ to others. That is our identity. Paul's trying to get us to grasp our identity, to seek Jesus as the one who defines who we are, and there find our security. A couple of weeks ago on Sunday night, Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we had uh, the, the group Amplified, our worship band, had their concert in the, the park. Uh, as, as we were getting ready for that, or I guess I should say as they were getting ready for that, I was just standing around. But, but, but as they were loading the trailer, getting all the equipment on the trailer, getting everything organized uh, for the, the concert, I was standing on the hill with, with Carrie, and we were standing there talking. And, and it was kind of a cool moment. It was a nice afternoon. And 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 a bunch of the kids that were there, the kids of the the band members, were over across the the little bridge over in the playground playing. And, and as Carrie and I stood there, we looked up and we saw Annabelle uh, walking, uh, or I saw her first. And she she was walking to the playground and she came across the bridge. And and when she crossed the bridge, she got over onto the the sidewalk, and you could tell, or to the little road, and you could tell that she was looking. She was as she was walking, she was her head was swiveling from side to side, and and it was pretty obvious what she was looking for. She was like, where's mom? Where's dad? And she was just kind of, it wasn't, there was no urgency about it. She was just kind of walking along just like a little kid, but just looking. And, and finally, I, I, I hit Carrie and I said, there's Annabelle. She's looking for you. And Annabelle kept walking, getting closer. And, and I don't know where Bobby was. He was probably behind the trailer. And, and we were up on the hill a little bit, so she didn't think to look up there. And she's, she, she just continued to look like, where are they? Where, where are they? And, and and finally, I, I yelled. I said, Annabelle. And she looked up, and and she didn't care that she saw me, but she saw, she saw Carrie. And she stopped, and she smiled, and she turned around and walked back to the playground. I told Carrie, wow, what a, what a beautiful picture 
I don't know what had happened. I don't know if someone had said something if she had fallen down or, or if it had just been a while since she had seen mom and dad and she thought, you know what, I better make sure they're still here. Maybe it's something, maybe it's a little deeper than that. Maybe it's part of the insecurity of her past. She, she has to know that mom and dad are still there. But she walked up and she glanced up. Mom's still here. She hadn't left. She hadn't gone anywhere. I'm secure. I can go back and play. Where's your identity? Can we grasp our identity that's in Christ? Would you bow with me? Father, help us always look to you. Help us always lift our head to see you in our life, to see your hope, to see your faithfulness, to see your forgiveness. Father, help us always see you and know that our identity lies with you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to come this morning, would you come as we stand and sing?